1: Welcome to the Friday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about our common faith, um, anything going on in your life, whatever's on your heart, just call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll free at 877 630 KSLR, numerically at 630 5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, or you can uh, send your questions in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, and I want you to be careful out there today, it's wet. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer by pushing the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. One more time, our main number is three four zero ninety five eighty five. Well, normally Fridays, there's so much going on, but... Unfortunately, I'm going to be doing it alone today, or virtually alone. Uh, we've got our Bible study tonight at 7 o'clock in First Peter chapter 5, the first four verses. Uh, it's a very personal study for me because it's about the the role of a pastor and the heart with which the pastor is supposed to be serving. So that's tonight. On Sunday, of course, it's Palm Sunday. And I know for all of us, it's going to be different. Nobody's going to be gathered together physically at churches. Um, but I'm going to do it just like I would if the room was full, all three services. And we invite you to join us. Um, you can go to CalvarySA.com, uh at 830 at 1015 or 1159. And then after that, they will be completely... Um, uh, available for for view at any time. Uh, for me it's a little bit sad because the first Sunday of every month is communion and uh, personally I've never missed a communion Sunday at our church in 25 years and um, this is going to be the first time that, that we're going to be virtually alone um, but we're going to invite the people from the church to partake with us online. They can do it at home while we're doing it here and um, the Lord will knit our hearts together. So um, Get ready for Palm Sunday. We've got Palm Sunday this week. we got Good Friday next week. And then, of course, Easter will be the following Sunday, a week from this Sunday. And we will be doing that virtually as well, as I'm sure all churches will be. Well, let's get to questions, because... Talking about not being here with the people I love is sad. So let's get to some questions. This is a, a question. Hi, Pastor Ron. And I'm not going to say the name because I'm not, I didn't ask for permission. He sent me this question. I didn't know if he wanted his name identified. It says, I hope you and Paula are healthy and safe, and we are. Thank you very much. I says, I just want to ask you, how do you renew your faith once you've strayed away from it? Where do you get started if that happens to you? I feel sometimes lost and I forget Jesus is the answer but in hard times like these with everything going on in the world it's very easy to forget who the maker is let me know please and God bless thank you for the question you know I know in hard times like this we get sort of overwhelmed but when we're in difficult times like this no matter how much is going on these are the times that we need to fight like crazy not to forget who our maker is. Who's in charge? Jesus is on the throne. You know, our churches may be empty, but that's a reminder that we're celebrating a week from Sunday, that morning when the tomb was empty. And that was the power of God. So what I want you to think about is that you owe everything to him for what he's done. And don't focus on the hard things that are going on. Instead, take Paul's advice, put your mind, set your minds and hearts, the mind the place of decision, the heart the place of affection, on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's the most important thing I can tell you in answer to this, and I'm going to give you some some places to go, I think. But um, remember, we're in a fight for our lives, and the enemy is trying to distract us. And as we get sort of locked in, some of us are just alone and we don't do very well alone. Others of us with family, we're starting to get on each other's nerves. And Paul, if you're listening, and I know you are, that didn't mean you, you're not getting on my nerves. But it's just hard. It's hard because our routines are broken. It's hard because the things that we have made routine no longer are. But this is a time when we have to fight the hardest to remember Jesus, be with Him, talk to Him, open your Bibles, listen to Bible studies, um, take walks with the Lord. I was out this morning running, doing my exercise, and and then I get I, I run kind of far away so that I can I can walk back and have plenty of time to pray. And today the Lord blessed me so much. There was a couple who I, I walked past them, and I hear this voice behind me, "Ron," and I turned around, and and honestly I didn't know who they were. Um, I can't see very far, but as I got closer, um, he, he introduced me to his wife. It turns out I remember now who he was. But, you know, he just wanted to talk. And he and his wife, they, they loved the Lord and were able to talk about the things that were going on. We were able to talk about um, the work that God is going to do in it and how we can stay ready and remain ready. But but in this case, it was a husband and a wife. They were out together taking a walk with Jesus and the first thing they asked me is, can, can we pray for you? And I said, you, of course you can pray for me. You see, you fight, you discipline yourself to walk with Jesus, and He'll show up for you in unexpected ways, just as He did for me this morning. Now, you said, where do you get started? In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus talks to the church or writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he commends him for all these things they're doing. But then he says this. He says, I have this one thing against you. You've left left your first love. And make no mistake, whenever we stray away or drift away from the Lord, we've lost our first love. Our focus has changed to something or someone else. And Jesus gave those in Ephesus three steps. Three steps first was remember remember the heights from which you've fallen so what I'm telling you he's saying is remember what it was like when you were so close to the Lord when all you wanted to do was ask him now I know this particular caller I know he doesn't come to our church but, but he called quite often or sent questions in regularly you had questions sort those questions out, dig into your Bible like you did before Remember what it felt like those days when you got up and you couldn't wait for Jesus to give you some instruction or to answer some question. You just knew that he was going to meet you. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, remember those times. The second thing he said is repent. And this is equally important because you've got to realize that you straying away from the Lord is something that needs to be repented of. It's sin. It's not unforgivable, of course, but it's sin. The one who gave everything for us and has asked us to give everything to him in grateful response, we need to say, Lord, I'm so sorry that I've let myself drift. I'm so sorry that I've let the cares or the fears of our circumstances overwhelm me. I'm sorry that other things have gotten my attention. Please forgive me, Lord. That's what repentance is. And then when you've done that, remembered and repented, the third step is to return and do the things you did at first. Do what you did when you were falling in love with the Lord. Go back to the same routine. Always carry your Bible with you. Always be talking to Him. You hear me often say, just be with Jesus. You know, when you're in love with the Lord, you want to hang out with Him. And when you do, he always is there. He's always going to bless. But remember, you're in a fight for your life. The enemy wants to destroy you. And he's going to use this for a lot of people. Paul and I were talking about this uh, earlier in the week. And the truth is, we don't do well, most of us, when we're alone. We don't do well when we've got too much time to ourselves. Our focus changes, so we've got to fight. The enemy will try to discourage you. He'll try to depress you. He'll try to throw you off your game. But remember, Jesus is stronger. So what you do is you just stay close to him. It's good to hear from you again. Fight for this. It's worth it. 340-9585 for your live calls on our Friday program to close the week. Here's a question from Jeremy. He said, would you discuss your issues with Calvinism, please? Jeremy, obviously you've been listening to the program. Um, I have a lot of issues with Calvinism. Uh, most pointedly, there's so little fruit coming from those who hold on to Calvinistic doctrines. You know, their idea. I think the thing that is the most offensive to me about Calvinism is they've, 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 they've stolen this wonderful word Grace. And they always precede it with the word sovereign. And while grace means God's unmerited favor to the infinitely deserving, sovereign grace in their systematic theology means that God can do whatever he wants and we can't question. Who are you, O man, to question God? Would the clay say to the potter, why have you made me thus and thus? Grace is such a wonderful thing and they've changed grace into God moving pieces on a chessboard with no explanation and in a way that's not consistent with this character Jeremy the, the I think the the idea of limited atonement is also offensive the Calvinist says that Jesus didn't die for the sins of the world he died for the sins of the elect and we take the most famous verse in the New Testament for God so loved the world that he gave he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life and they change that into well God died for the elect for God so loved the elect and that's just dishonest scholarship it's, it's misunderstanding the whole idea either Jesus loves the world as the verse says or he doesn't And if he doesn't, if he doesn't love people in this world, even those that are perishing, if he doesn't love them, well, then we have a Savior who can't really save. So the idea of limited atonement is also offensive. Irresistible grace is another one. The Calvinists would say, well, no one can resist God's grace. If God wanted this to happen, it would happen. And yet the Bible is full of examples of evil resisted God's will. Otherwise, we wouldn't be told constantly to seek the will of God or to do or to know the will of God. So this whole idea of irresistible grace, if God wants it done, it's going to be done. Well, we know that Peter says it. God is patient, unwilling that any should perish. And yet the truth is, we know that lots of people are going to perish. So that's just part of it. But again, the key is, I've watched a lot of people outsmart themselves and grab hold of this Calvinist doctrine and watched all of the joy and all of the fruit leave their lives. They become arrogant they figure like they're in a little secret club that they've got all the answers. The truth is they don't. So those are my issues with Calvinism, Jeremy. I hope that is enough. doesn't mean Calvinists aren't saved. They are not heretics. They just have a systematic theology that's cruel and is absent love. So I hope that makes sense. Miguel wants to know, did Jesus come only for Jews? No, Miguel, I just, um, in the answer to the last question, I I, uh, indicated that God loved the world. So he came to save the world, that through him, the world wouldn't be judged, but the world would be saved. Um, But he did only come in his incarnation for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So we're not talking about individuals who are Jews, but we're talking about the people of Israel. Jesus' first advent to this earth was as the Jewish Messiah. That's why he said to the Syrophoenician woman that um, it wouldn't be right for me to give you the food that was for God's chosen. And then she stunned him, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table and her prayer was granted because Jesus always honors faith so his ministry was entirely Jewish his ministry was focused on the people of Israel the nation of Israel but when rejected by Israel when rejected by the individuals who were Jews that Jesus sent his disciples who would become apostles to the rest of the world and actually chose the man that would be the most powerful tool to take the message of grace to the Gentiles in the history of the world, of course, the Apostle Paul. So he came for everybody, but remember, Miguel, when you read the, the Gospel accounts, you've got to understand the Jewishness of Jesus' ministry or you get things really, really out of balance. Good question. Good question um there's an interesting question from Seth. How can Christians filled with the same Holy Spirit come to such differing positions on doctrinal issues? Seth, um, you, you know it'd be so idealistic to, to say, Well, you know if the spirit is really leading, everybody's going to believe the same things. Even Paul talked about the necessary differences to show which of those have the approval of God. So here's the answer to your question. We have a perfect scripture written by a perfect God interpreted by really imperfect, imperfect men and women. And so that's why we read the same thing and come to different positions. I think it's healthy. I think iron sharpens iron. I think it makes us really think about what we believe and why we believe it but it's really important to understand that we're all reading through our own filter, the filter of our lives. We're reading through a perspective that wants to twist and turn the Scriptures. And I think, Seth, if we would stop trying so hard to interpret and just read and obey, And by that I mean, when you understand something, flee from sexual immorality. There's nobody in the world who doesn't understand that. Well, if we would flee from sexual immorality, then I think God would give us greater understanding on things. And make no mistake, there's going to be doctrinal issues. There were doctrinal issues um, that sprung up very, very, very early in the first century church. And they've been splitting the church for generations ever since. And yeah, Christians are filled with the same Holy Spirit. But we've got issues, don't we? we got issues with our flesh. We look at the Bible, we want it to say one thing, and then if we think we get a little bit of information, then we get pride, proudful. We really have to be really careful. So Seth, just read it. Don't worry so much about what other people say about it. I, and I'm not anti-studying, anti-commentaries or anything. But you've got to have a, a solid enough background in the scriptures yourself before you really dig in and start interpreting what commentators say. We are imperfect in our interpretation for sure. So just keep digging in, mining the word of God. Thanks, Seth. Hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585, Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Love Your Life calls to close out the week. Here is a question from Adam. He said, what are some ways that we can give Satan a foothold in our lives? You know, Adam, that's a really, really good question because I don't think we think about the, the cause and effect. When we walk willfully into sin, Satan is wringing his hands, I got him now kind of thing. When we um, sin in our anger, we give Satan a foothold. Not only that, when we are angry with our spouses, when we're not behaving godly in the home, Satan is given a foothold. Our prayers are hindered. They can't be heard. So those are the ways that we give him a foothold in our lives. I mean, two very serious ones. um, Drugs. Um, when you start messing with your mind you know I get calls all the time well why can't Christians smoke marijuana Satan is waiting for that opportunity for you to mess with your mind and then he's going to grab the foothold I don't need to give Satan any foothold he's strong enough for me so I don't want to give him an advantage Uh, personal sexuality if we are sinning sexually Paul clearly indicates by saying that when we sin, all other sins are sins a man commits outside his body, but when we sin sexually, a man sinning against his own body. And the clear implication there is that when we do that, Satan is going to destroy. And anybody in this listening audience who has dealt with sexual temptation or pornography or, understands just how strong that foothold is. All we have to do, and I'm going to go back to my study this past Wednesday night. Paul and I talked about it last night or yesterday in the program too. But, but um, God said to Cain, if you do what is right, will it not go well with you? Will you not be accepted? So if you want to keep Satan from having a foothold in your life, then just do the right thing. That's what it means to work every day to live for Jesus just do what he tells you to do it's not difficult again our flesh wants to do what our flesh wants to do but every time that we give in to our flesh we are giving Satan a foothold in their lives and I'm going to repeat this because I think it bears repeating Um, he is so powerful in our flesh we are no match for him we don't need to give him an advantage remember when you were kids and say things like well I could whip him with one arm tied behind my back well I think a lot of times we're trying to fight Satan with both arms tied behind our back and he's going to absolutely blister us so don't give him a foothold lest your prayers be hindered and you don't want that to happen Uh, Jennifer says I think we're inside three minutes for this half of the program just got three minutes now Uh, Jennifer says I'm a new Christian welcome to the family Jennifer I'm a new Christian and want to spend all my time listening to sermons to help me grow is there balance or is that okay Jennifer you just give in to whatever your heart wants to do I mean right now you're in a love affair with the Lord and you just you know curiosity You know, one of the things I've learned Jennifer over my years is that people who are really really curious I was one of those people Um, They've been given by God the gift to teach, and then they they just have to nurture it. So you listen to all the the messages that you want to listen. Fortunately, we've got so many messages and great, great teaching available online. So it's really, really good. Now, having said that, remember, it's more important that you read the, the Bible for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. And when you're listening to sermons, try to find those Bible teachers who will teach it the way you read it, verse by verse. It's not always easy, and it's not the only way to teach the Word. But remember, you're trying to get familiar with God. You want to learn to know His character. And the way to do that is to open His book. Read every day. Uh, If you're as curious and excited as I was, Jennifer, and it sounds like you were... I made it my goal to read at least ten chapters every day. Sometimes I'd get so excited I'd read way, way more. I'd read five New Testament, five Old Testament, and just systematically read through the Bible. And then as I was getting some foundation for for all this new stuff, um, then I could listen to other people's messages or I could read commentaries. And I learn how to study and how to rightly divide the Word of God. All that's important. But yeah, you can listen to sermons all you want to. Um, I just, we got an email today from somebody. Or Paul actually, it was a text. Somebody uh, said, you know, I'm going through your study in the book of Revelation from 2015. And, um, you know, those are great things to do. Just indulge. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in the week. We'd love your calls. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the word to stand on for life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at pastorronkslr at gmail.com. That's pastorronkslr at gmail.com.
0: back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's Pastor Ron
1: Arbaugh welcome back to our final half hour of the week remember tonight at 7 o'clock I'm going to be teaching 1 Peter chapter 5 the first four verses Uh, you can watch it at 7 o'clock at CalvarySA.com. Uh, here's a question from Rod how important is it to believe that the Bible is inerrant and infallible Rod it is life and death not, not in terms of salvation there are people who do have troubles with inerrancy and infallibility um, who are saved but it's life and death to a consistent fruitful abundant walk with Jesus I hope that distinction is important there are people who who will be in heaven and they'll be sorry, they'll repent that they didn't believe the Bible was God's inerrant, infallible word um, but they're going to be in heaven. But here's the thing, without an inerrant, infallible, a perfect word of God then there's not going to be any fruit from our lives, the crowns of righteousness that are stored up for us. They won't receive them. They're like the the lazy tenant, you know, who buried the, the gift that God gave, the talent that God gave him because he thought he was a hard man you see, the Bible not only reveals to us who Jesus is the character of God, the nature of God what he's done for us, and the promises that he's made but it also tells us how to live those promises out and see, here's what we do, the human psyche rod, if we are convinced somehow that the Bible's not perfect, that it's inerrant and infallible that means it's without error that the original manuscripts were pristine, clearly the breath of God pushing the pens of men. If we don't believe that, then we have no guidelines with which to live. Those who believe that the Bible is is a book that contains God's word, but it's not God's word, or well, it's okay if there's errors or contradictions. If you believe that, first of all, you're not studying it. Secondly then you're going to make up your own rules. And we're never going to have fruit being produced. Jesus said that he's promised abundant life to those who follow him, and yet there's so many Christians, people that will really be in heaven, who aren't living an abundant life. And I suggest that their view of the Bible is the biggest reason why. Now, whenever somebody comes to me and says, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. I always ask them to show me one. And nobody ever has. Now, once in a while, they'll say something like, well, well one gospel said there was one angel uh, at the tomb, uh, and the other gospel said there was two. It's well, easy to explain. It's not a contradiction. That doesn't mean the Bible is in the error. And usually when people refuse to believe the Bible is God's perfect word, the reason is because the Bible says a lot of things that they don't want to stop doing. The reason the people rejected Jesus is because he wasn't the Christ that they wanted him to be. He wasn't the Savior. They wanted to be saved from Rome, but they didn't want to be saved from sin. They wanted to be permitted to live any way they want to live. And for God to be okay with it, Jesus kept telling them No. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, he said to him. Can you imagine what the Jewish response to that was? And if we who are New Testament Christians, we do not believe that the Bible is God's perfect word, then we're going to make it up as we go. And the result of that is always going to be we're going to fall into sin. So I think it is more than critical, Rod, to believe that this is God's perfect word. You know, um, I've shared this before in this program, so I'll give you the short version now, but um, as I, I said earlier that I was curious. I had so many questions. And when I would ask questions of Christians who I thought had all this stuff figured out, they would always start their answer by saying, well, the Bible says. And as a new believer who wasn't raised in church, I had never opened a Bible. That didn't make sense to me. How could a Bible be the Word of God if it was written by men? And so after I got saved, and I mean right after I got saved, and I'm trying to figure all this stuff out, I had to make a decision about whether or not the Bible really was the Word of God. If it was, then I was going to do it. I was going to obey it. If it wasn't, then I had to figure out something else. I mean, I was saved. I was radically in love with Jesus. But I was confused. Isn't it true? When we get saved, we we don't know what to do anymore. But Jesus says, here's my word. Read it. And I spent just short of three months pouring forth all of my energy into finding out if this was a book written by men, or if it was the word of God and finally when I came to the conclusion an inescapable conclusion if you'll dig in the conclusion is that this really is the word of God and since that time I've never doubted my salvation I've never thought about quitting I've never blamed God for anything bad that happened you see all the answers are in this Bible And I love Jesus more than anybody. I love Paul and X. Well, his word is the love of my life every day. Because I don't have to guess. I don't have to wonder. When things like this crisis that we're experiencing together come along, my faith in God isn't shaken. When I went through my heart issues two and a half, three years ago, my faith in God wasn't shaken I never once said why me Lord it's not because I have great faith it's because I believe him I know his word and the answers to all those questions are in his word my heart truly breaks Rod for Christians who go to churches where the Bible is not taught or where the Bible is not elevated to the status of the perfect infallible Word. That's how important it is. Let's go to a phone call. We've got Cindy on line one. Cindy, good to hear from you. How are you doing?
0: Oh, hi, Pastor Ron. I'm
1: hanging in there. I miss everybody, but... I was kind of complaining to the Lord about all the doom and gloom going on, and I was whining to him about that it was gray outside and there wasn't any sunshine, and he kind of gave me this, you know, he kind of told me that when we're in heaven, Jesus will be our light. So I wanted to read this verse out of chapter 22 in Revelation, verse 5. It says, There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And and it just it makes me cry. But anyways, if you would like to lighten up our day and talk about that, <laughs> I would love that. Miss you. Hi, everybody. I miss all of you and love you. Bye. <laughs> thank, thank you, Cindy. See, this is this is why I get to talk about being a pastor tonight. And And this is why... My life is so rich. I mean, people like Cindy and, and their, you know, a whole bunch of them. They, they, we we have our passion, our love for Jesus Christ in common. Two things, Cindy, when you were before you got to reading the passage in Revelation, talking about being dark and gloomy. A lot of us are spending our time indoors watching news the enemy's trying to use the news to scare us it's all coronavirus all the time I think we need little bits and pieces of it we need to know what's going on but we also need to be good stewards of doom and gloom you know we can focus on that or we can focus on the Lord and the fruit from our life is going to be evident where we're spending our time. As you know, Cindy, I'm in Genesis on Wednesday nights. We just started, I'm in chapter four, just right in the middle of, or just finished the first part of chapter four this past Wednesday. And as we were in the first couple of chapters talking about the creation, there was no light sun, the moon, the stars hadn't been, and yet God said, let there be light, and there was light. And people always say, well, well, if there were no sun, no moon, no stars, where would the light come from? Well, the verse you read in Revelation 22 is the answer that Jesus was the light. In an unfallen creation, Jesus was the light, just as he will be in heaven. Now, people that know me, Paula and others who know me well, you know, I, I really don't like artificial light. I've got an eye condition and it bothers me. Imagine a day when there's no artificial light, when our vision is perfect and the light is the glory of God. Well, that's our future in heaven. And that's why we need to focus on heaven. We need to focus on our eternal reward. Because the circumstances in this world, people in this world, the bad, horrible things that happen in this world, the enemy tries to use those to extinguish the light of Christ. Remember, our job is to be light. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So Cindy, I look forward to that moment. And we miss you too. We'll see you soon. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Robert on Line One. Robert, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hey, Pastor Ron, how you doing? Robert here. Uh, I talked to you the other Hi, day Robert. when we, um, we were talking about. Uh, I asked you the question about the and the anointing of, you know, putting the oil and having the elders in the church and pray over, pray over somebody. And you were kind of in agreement with that, right? Uh huh. So I, I, I have a little unusual circumstance, Pastor Ron. My son is actually in the hospital right now, not doing very well, and I actually got him on the line with us right now. And, uh, unfortunately, with all this craziness going on, I can't have any of the elders from the church mm-hmm. go there physically. We can't do it. So I was wondering if you could pray with us. Uh, uh, my, my, my son has, um, his stomach is very, very bad, Ron, uh, Pastor Ron. He's, um, lost a lot of weight. Um, and, and just wondered if you could pray with us here on the line with us.
1: I sure can. What, what is your son's name? Oh, Robert? Okay, well, I've got two Roberts. Well, Robert, I, I, trust, that you, I trust that you can hear me. I'm going to pray. Father God, we lift Robert to you. And he's reached out by faith, Lord. The Word says to call for the elders of the church, but the elders of the church can't get in. And while Robert doesn't go to our church, Lord, I'm one of your elders. And now I'm being joined in prayer by thousands upon thousands of Christians and we lift Robert to you and ask God that you would touch him, that you would heal him, that you would give his body strength that you would spare him the pain of his condition and I pray oh Lord that you'd be able to bring him home soon to get out of the hospital, protect him Lord from whatever is the problem physically give the doctors wisdom and help him get well but Through the air, Lord, I reach out, and while the oil is figurative, the oil representing the Holy Spirit, um, Jesus, you anoint Robert with the oil of the Holy Spirit. You touch him and heal him. Bring strength to his body for your glory. Amen. Robert, in the hospital, I will be continuing to pray for you. Get better.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. God bless. Thanks, Pastor Ron. Uh, I know
2: there's no my, uh, prayer, and um, um, I love listening to you. And um, I know your 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 faith, and um, this brings um, inspiration to me. Always listening to you, and look forward to seeing you in person again.
1: Thank you, Robert. Yeah. Please keep like, your like son. I to...
2: you before I used to be out there at your church, Pastor Ron. just mm-hmm. with the distance, and uh, we kind of came a little bit yep. closer home to Alamo Ranch. But I uh, love. I can't wait to see you in person again. And my son was out there a couple times in your church as well. So thanks my for pleasure. Uh, praying, praying with the us.
1: Keep, I do keep us posted. And, uh, Robert, you know you know, we planted a church out in the Alamo Ranch area. So um, a guy that's been with me for 13 years uh, is the pastor out there, and you're going to see a lot of familiar faces out there. It's a new church plant, but uh, there's a whole bunch of people that we sent out there who lived in that area. So uh, if you are interested, um, Google Calvary Chapel... Um, Northwest? Northwest. Calvary Chapel, Northwest San Antonio and and it'll come up. Thank you, Robert. Here's a question from Danny who says I want to be pleasing to God. How can I make sure that I am? Um, Danny, first of all, that you want to be pleasing to God. Find out what pleases the Lord, Paul writes in three separate occasions. And find out what pleases the Lord. Um, That's how you can make sure you are. Open your Bible. Find out What pleases the Lord? But the fact that you want to be is very pleasing to the Lord. So the other suggestion I'm going to make to you is to enjoy the fact that you are already pleasing to God. You don't stress. Don't say, okay, God, what can I do to make you love me more? It's not that kind of thing. He loves you infinitely. He can't love you any more, nor can He love you any less. So if you want to be pleasing to God, do what He tells you to do And I promise you, Danny, I made this promise several times in the Bible study. I just did this past Wednesday. You will experience the smile of God in your life, and you will know. But this isn't something you have to strive to do. Just be with Jesus. Find out what pleases Him. Read the last three chapters of Ephesians. Read beginning in chapter 12 of the book of Romans read the last two chapters of Philippians or Colossians and there's going to be very clear list of things that please God. So that's how you do it. You don't have to work hard. He'll do the work. You just have to want to please Him. Danny, He loves your heart that you want to be pleasing to Him. So now just do what your Bible tells you to do and I promise you you're going to feel his pleasure Matthew asked me uh, Pastor Ron please talk about how we should approach worry especially with the coronavirus epidemic Um, Matthew I wish I could wave a magic wand and say do not worry or do not be afraid and nobody would worry or be afraid but we know that's not the human condition so the way we should approach worry is to not to be in denial you know when I tell the Lord Lord I'm afraid of this my next statement is but I give you this fear you can carry it, I can't so that's how I always approach it, I don't deny it, I don't try to pretend I'm more spiritual than I am, I just say Lord I'm worried about this you take care of it and Matthew he always does, I can't handle it, he can so you give worry, you give fear to him and that's the way we approach worry uh, we, we, we we view worry through the lens of the promises that God has made as if God is for you, who can be against you. Yes, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I could go on and on just in Romans chapter eight. So Matthew, that's the way we we approach worry. We simply understand it's a part of the human condition. You know, I get frustrated when I hear Christians say, teachers, pastors, Well, God says, Do not worry, so worry is a sin. Do not fear, so worry or fear is a sin. It's not. That's the human condition. It's when we let worry or fear keep us from doing what God's told us to do. That's when it becomes sinful. That's when we get caught in the trap of the devil. So specifically with this coronavirus epidemic. Uh, I'm not. I want to be careful. How I say this. I'm not. Um, I'm not a worrier about my physical health. Um, I don't want bad things to happen, of course. Um, but, but one of the things I've I've really learned experientially through my heart issues some time ago is um, God meets me in that place with grace. And Matthew, I think a lot of our worry is a result of worrying about things where God hasn't given any grace yet, things that might happen. And I don't understand anybody who's so worried about getting this coronavirus uh, that, that they're they're harming their health, their mental health. Emotionally, they're on pins and needles. Why? Because, well, well, I don't want to get it. I might get it. Well, don't worry about something till you have something to worry about. So here's what I've, promised the Lord I would do. If I get this virus, Lord, then I'll worry about it, and when I worry about it, I'll give you the worry. And just like you did with the Apostle Paul, you'll tell me my grace is sufficient. And Matthew, we really need to learn that His grace really does cover all these things. If we understand that, then we realize there's really nothing to worry about. When someone comes to me and says, but what if I get this, or what if I get that? I just say, well, have you got it yet? No, well, have you thanked God that you don't have it yet? And the answer is usually no, because they are too busy worrying about something that hasn't happened yet. So that's the approach to worry. And again, it's, it's our human nature to be afraid. It's our human nature to worry. That's why there's over 300 statements in the Bible regarding fear and worry. Do not fear. Do not worry. Over 300 times throughout Old Testament and New. If people weren't afraid, if they didn't worry, he wouldn't have to say it over and over and over. His disciples, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And then Jesus immediately takes him to heaven. In my Father's house are many rooms, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me where I am. And that takes your mind instantly off of the thing you're worried about and instantly into the presence of God. God works all things together, another Romans 8. God works all things together for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. So I'm not trying to be super spiritual here. I don't want to get sick. But I'm not going to worry about that when I'm healthy, otherwise I waste the good health that I have I find my heart lacks gratitude when, in fact, I'm worried about stuff like that. So, Matthew, I hope that helps. Here is a question from Albert. Um, Pastor Ron, I want to know what happens when a church or a denomination rejects complementarianism. Um, Albert, for the listeners, complementarianism, for those who aren't familiar with the term is um, the the doctrine of male headship in the church and in the home. Uh, No place else, just in the church. The church belongs to God. He's the head of the church. Jesus is. And in the home, where the husband is the head of the wife, um, that's what complementarianism is. Now, when when anybody, a, a church, an individual, or an entire denomination rejects complementarianism, they're in rebellion against God. It's that simple. You know, we've, we've let this pursuit of freedom and our rights be a systematic theology that we can lay over our Bibles and we can change things, and we can't do it. So when a church or a denomination rejects complementarianism, they're selling for less than God's best. Doesn't mean they're not saved, doesn't mean they're not capable or gifted, but when a church has a woman for a pastor, they really have no pastor at all when a woman is leading the man in a household well then it's uh, you got a freak you got something with two heads and it never works out so we lose direction we lose the power of the Holy Spirit we lose the blessing of God again it doesn't mean that he doesn't he's not angry or anything it's just that He's probably wondering, why don't they just do what I tell them to do? If you do what is right, will it not go well with you? And for the life of me, Albert, I've never understood why anybody would want to be in a church that is in violation of the Word of God. What other Bible passages are they going to tear out of their Bible and throw away? They don't lose their salvation it's not a salvation issue what they lose is the power of the Holy Spirit and when complementarianism is rejected that's exactly what happens so Albert I hope that makes sense to you thanks a lot um, I'm going to be teaching in First Timothy chapter 2 uh, on Sundays that'll probably be we've got a two week break for Easter and good uh, Palm Sunday so probably about four weeks I'll be to those um, those passages. Hey, thanks for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Go to your church online, worship the Lord, and fall more in love with Jesus. God bless you. I'll see you Monday on AM 630, The Word. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4